0: Oculi, my eyes, you know, it's the third week of Lent. Matthew 10:28 is the traditional text. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Heavenly Father, who sent your only Son to sinful men and laid on him our grievous burden when he ascended the cross, that we might see and know the glory of your holy love, grant that our faith in him may not be shaken by adversity or daunted by threat, but that we follow him steadfastly in the way that leads to perfect fellowship with him and so with you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, it's good to see you again. Thanks for coming out. Have I got a deaconess here by chance? Or is she off doing good work somewhere else? Can you help me? That's all right. I got Pastor Gainick here. He's a nice young man, strong of heart. Um, there's so much stuff happening. Um, <laughs> well, Martha would help, you, she loves you. Pat will help you. Hey, Pat Jennings, can you help the pastor? All right, good. Um, There's so much stuff happening. We finalized the altar this week. You know, if all goes well, the stone underneath the altar was called Cosmic Abyss, which makes all kinds of sense because the world sits on top of that and the body and blood straightens it out. Things progress next door. Um, You saw if you were at 9 that we have a range of new, vibrant people coming in, so that's really good. Um, You saw in your bulletin today a yellow sheet. Uh, asking you to attend voters' meetings coming in the future if you could get to an information meeting. Um, you know, this time every week is where you're going to know the most about what's going on in the church. You know, beyond that, the information meetings are very good. If you can get to one of those in advance of the voters' meetings so you can be a sophisticated uh, uh, and discerning voter, that would be a really good thing too. So kind of pay attention here as we go through. There's a lot of stuff that is going on right now, uh, much of it is, is great stuff i send that with you, Jane. Thank you very much, Pastor. You want to send that? Um, the money goes to Russia. I mean, once again, this is always a good story. One of the things that's good about St. John is it's a church that people have come to depend on. I thought you gave me two of those. Did one go already? No. You just gave me one? Okay. Um, so the Russians, you know, nobody goes to church in Russia. We've got this crazy pastor named Pavel Zayekin who... He takes the kids for summer. They don't go to wall camp. They go spelunking. He teaches them to rappel. Uh, you know, they they hike in the mountains in the snow and make snow you know igloos and stay there and stuff. Well, we've supported their summer camp for several years. Um, each summer beyond we su- we still support a pastor five thousand dollars a year and then every summer we've supported this summer camp for two or three thousand dollars. They actually found a piece of land uh, with a large building on it for eight thousand dollars in the middle of a national forest, but they, it can be sold to them where they always go, so we do have money from a grant I wrote um, a while back, and with Bethany Naperville, we're gonna help them buy that land uh, so that they'll have a place to go to you know, on a regular basis and kind of eliminate the recurring costs, but what's nice about being part of St. John is, and this is a good thing about tending your budget and being generous, which is um, there are a lot of places that kind of look to us whenever they have a good idea and want to get it funded. And it's nice to be the kind of church that can do that with people. So congratulations, uh, and keep going. I want to do three things with you today. I want to review what we did last week. I want to talk to you about a couple of commandments, but I think maybe you as I have found that to be heavy work. Um, You know, we go through about three commandments and I'm exhausted. And it's difficult for me um, to feel what you feel if I'm exhausting myself, I feel like I may be putting too much pressure on you, so I don't want to do that. Also, I probably had four people last week say to me that they couldn't hear me. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I can't really tell whether you can hear me or not. If you can't hear me, please raise your hand. But I also, this isn't the stuff you yell at your congregation about. You know, it's kind of, uh, this is kind of tough going. And so I'd like to err on the side of being, being um, soft with you. Uh, so... I tell you what, um, do you still have a bulletin in your hands? You know, take your bulletin. Do you still have a bulletin? Just just open to the Old Testament reading. I just wonder if you found this fascinating as I did, uh, as I prepared this week reading this. This is everything we've been doing for the last four months. It's all in one Old Testament reading. Isn't this great? So the first paragraph is what I said to you last week, which is the pastor is accountable to God. In the first analysis, I am not accountable to you. In the first analysis, I am accountable to God because you put me into the office and you called me to serve as pastor here. So you, son of man, this is verse 7, I've made you watchman over the house of Israel. You can translate that as you, apostle St. Matthew. I've made you an apostle to the church of Christ. Or translated down through the ages, you know, they appointed the next person and the next person. You, pastor, wherever you are, you're a watchman over your church. Okay. Now, he spells out later what that means, but, I mean, look at, this is, this is the press on me. Um, verse 8, if I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, and that wicked person dies in his iniquity, his blood I require from your hand. See, so part of the problem being a pastor is, in, in this era, is that you think I should please you you think I should give you what you want. That's completely anti-Christ. My job is to give you what Christ wants, which means I'm supposed to tell you the difference between right, right and wrong, and I'm supposed to do that with specificity for each of you. Now, here's the thing. I'm well aware that I can screw that up, be too harsh, be too soft, not get it right, be confusing, speak too long, speak too little, You have to indulge me as long as I'm in human flesh and you have elders who can nudge and bump me if you think it's too far in one direction or another. But given that, you should always remember that my job is not to please you. My job is to speak the word of Christ and if I don't speak the word of Christ, your blood is on my hands, there it is in the text, okay? On the other hand, if I speak, just finish this out, verse nine, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he doesn't turn, that person will die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your own soul. Which means the only way that I'm safe when I stand before you every week is if I tell you what Christ said. Because even if he cuts all of you down, the only way for me to be safe is if I spoke to you what he once spoke. And it's a very harsh text. It works the other way, too. If it turns out that I'm Antichrist uh, and he cuts me down, you're all safe for having followed Christ in the scripture. Do you see that? Do you see the relationship there? It's uh, it's this harsh stuff. So first, the pastor is directly accountable to God, and you're accountable to listen to your pastor. There it is. But at the end of the day, no force. I can't force you to be a Christian. I can't believe for you. You can't force me. You can't believe for me. At the end of the day, the words do the work. Okay, so that's the first bit. The pastor is accountable to God, and the people are accountable to the pastor. The second bit um, is what we talked about last week. God has no... eh, Go ahead, Mr. Notkey. Um, what I just said before, which is that the line goes from the prophets to the apostles to Paul and the pastors that they raise up. So you read Titus, for example. I left you there so you raise up pastors in your image. So um, the next one is is what we said uh, last week. God has no enemies. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Isn't that great? He can identify them as the wicked, but he has no pleasure in it. So God's default is mercy, isn't that great? That's what we started last week, God has no enemies. And then the next thing, and this is what we've been doing for months now, confession and forgiveness. Uh, Verse 12, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. So you can't work your way out of your sins, Um, but keep going. Um, And though I say the wicked shall surely die, this is verse 14, and though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, and that's where we started right, with justice and mercy. And then look at this, restitution, which is, I know a couple of you have been nervous about that, but we've talked about restitution, not before the sin, but after, Um, So if you told a lie about somebody, you have to go untell it to all the people you told it. Or I always give you the easier example, if you rob a bank and you're sorry, you've got to give the money back. This is the very same example they use. So um, if he turns from his sin and does what is just as right, and, verse 15, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he's taken by robbery, and walks in the statues of life, not doing injustice. So you confess the sin, you make it right insofar as you're able. Now some things are harder. If you rob a bank, you can give the money back fairly easily. If you tell a lie about somebody, boy, that's very difficult to undo. Um, but you do what you what you can, what you're able to. Um, and then you don't do it ever again. You see, you live in justice and not injustice. Um, he shall surely live and not die. So tuck that that away there. That's, that's the restitution part. And then look at the last bit. In 17, um, objective truth, which is it's not about your feelings, it's not about your subjective judgment, it's not your church, it's Christ's church, and Christ's ten words. Look, at there it is, right there in 17. Yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just. That's not right. I don't feel that's right. I have a different idea for the church. Um, when it is their own way that is not just. See, that, at the end of the day, the Lord has the last word. So that goes all the way around then um, to to Jesus, where Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. It's not if you love me, you do what you want. If you love me, you obey my commandments. So there it is again. So I just found it interesting that everything we've been doing probably for four months um, is gathered up there just in one text. It's interesting how how that comes up. And it's not the only place where um, where that happens. Okay, so just that's just kind of observation. <coughs> uh, anything just about that? Anything else about that? Yes, please, Mr. Lee. Yes, Right. So the question is: There are sometimes you go into Lutheran church, you could extend your question to all churches, and you hear things that aren't uh, biblical. For example, sins may not be labeled sins. That was the example that you gave. So what do you do? Um, at the end of the day, you as a layperson have to stand before Christ on your own, right? Um, so I mean, you can sort of, you can sort of. Uh, let me work from the top down to answer your question. Um, I've tried mightily to uh, define us as a church that is identified by what we love and not by what we hate. Uh, As I said last week, and I kind of gave you a little discourse on this, the Lutheran Church over the last 30 or 40 years has been primarily defined by what they hate, not by what they love. It was kind of an outgrowth of um, the troubles we had in the 60s into the 70s. Uh, that is not good for people. It's not good for a church body. It could be an explanation why the Lutheran Church of Missouri Senate is declining. Um, nobody wants to come to church and be irritated, and nobody wants to come to church and be subject to the whims of um, you know, whatever good idea somebody might have. Uh, that's why we are so strongly here, uh, sort of root ourselves in the ancient church. So now, having said that, I'm actually not one to um, pronounce judgment about other churches unless I'm, and I give you that from the Eighth Commandment thing that we gave last week. I'm not put in a place, well, I have kind of a dual thing. As pastor, I do need to speak to the broader church, but I'm not a bishop, and I'm not a president or a cardinal. So the responsibility lies with presidents and bishops first. They have charge of other churches and doctrines. Um, at some point, if things deteriorate enough, we do, in fact, have to say this is what's true. But um, so often in the Lutheran Church over the last 40 years, we've kind of majored in minors. So um, I'm reticent about that. But at the end of the day, it is, of course, you standing before Christ saying, uh, I did the best I can to be faithful. And, of course, you do always have to. Paul loved to teach at the Berean Church because he said they had their Bibles out and they looked at their Bibles and then they said that's true or it's not true. Um, but of course, that was done also in community. As you know, First Peter says, no text is a matter of private interpretation. So um, none of us, none of you, nor us, interpret scripture in a vacuum. We interpret it within the creeds, the confessions of the church, the broader church universal, right? So um, our reflex is to be judgmental, uh, or at least it has been in the Missouri Senate uh, perhaps over the past decades or so um, I'm trying to sort of stall that reflex at the same time. Your question is bang on. So you want you also want to be faithful, but a gentle faithfulness. And and part of that is, is we're very much in a consumer society where you get defined as customers and I get defined as a salesman, or you know you get you get defined as guests and I get defined as a spa attendant. Scripture never talks like that. Um, in fact, the Ezekiel text is, um, pastor stand in a in a prophetic place. You know, Dan, one other answer to your question may be, you notice that Son of Man comes with small s, small m. Um, it gets to be big s, big m when Jesus takes it on. So it's sort of, that that's a precursor to the pastoral office that Jesus fills at his baptism. And then is the type uh, for pastors who follow and fill that office. So that might be another way to get at um, that particular Okay, anything else about that? I just want to try to instill in you a spirit of gentleness and kindness. Nobody wants to come to church and be irritated. At the same time, our world understands gentleness and kindness largely as having my way uh, by giving you what you want rather than what you need. My job is to give you what you need according to my judgment and training. That's what a pastor does. And your job is to be respectful of that uh, always you can always question you can always ask uh, but you know there is this stance of back and forthness so um, you know we just all try to be respectful of each other in that way okay still okay all right we'll just do the hard stuff next then um, <clears throat> you got your how christian should be taught to confess you got still got that i got some raise your hand if you need one if you don't have one raise your hand we'll bring it to you can you help me pastor yeah. can you help me um, we did three commandments, which, you know, as, as, as Lutherans sort of divide things up, It's um, we did the ones about God, how we deal with God. Now how, do, how we deal with each other, that would be good. Um, you know, I, just, I only want to do a couple of these because they are, if you're not used to this or you don't do it all the time or you haven't seen it for a while or if you've never seen it, this can be pretty heavy stuff because, you know, this is way back now, about three weeks ago, you need one, Mr. Buckles. You need one? We'll get to one. Um, this could be pretty heavy stuff because it's... Uh, it just dings us so, you know? it just It's just hard on all of us. Um, so, Fourth Commandment, this is on page 5, and you know this, honor your father and mother. Uh, we should fear and love God so we don't despise or anger our parents. Now, this is Luther or other authorities, and you have to ask who the other authorities are. Our, conf- our confessions say... You have several fathers. It says that um, you have your biological father who you're meant to honor. You're meant to honor governing authorities. And you're also meant to honor your pastor as spiritual father. It's hardly ever spoken of in the Lutheran Church. It's too much for us. Uh, but in the way that fatherless children you know, don't do that way that well uh, often, spiritually fatherless people don't often do that well either. You notice know, even from the title, it's how you're taught to confess. Or if you're at the 9 o'clock service, you saw those catechumens coming forward. Catechumen is the same word as disciple, or has the same impulse, which is is, you're learning stuff. You're always learning stuff. Always changing, always getting better. So um, don't anger your parents, or don't despise or anger your parents or others' authorities. But now here's the good part honor them, serve them, obey them, love them, and cherish them. So there's a gospel way. But I mean, kind of listen about this. How come Christians should be taught to confess? my God has given me my father and mother through whom whom I received life. So, you know what? They're always your father. You're always your mother. No matter how much good or ill there might be there, you know, they're always your biological genesis. He placed them and all temporal authority over me for my good and for the benefit of my neighbor. Now, I will, you know, I am well aware, um, you know, we all, our parents have shortcomings, and sometimes you know mothers and fathers can be absolutely horrible so you have to this is where you have to kind of think things through Um, you know how long is a child a child and how much can abuse can a child take and what's kind of normal life when people rub each other and what gets over the line so you know obviously you can't just sort of say do whatever your parents tell you because sometimes your parents tell you to do things that perhaps that don't count like you know they're just this I think what where did I just hear did you hear this news story there's a there's a young woman seeking political asylum here because her parents were Muslim and she converted to Christianity have you heard this right, it's in one of the courts in some in a southern state I think um, so she's asking to be emancipated and stay here because her parents you know if you convert in a Muslim at, at best you're cut off you know at worst um, you could be damaged um, so that's a point where you have to choose the Lord over over your parents. But, um, you know, those extraneous circumstances aren't always our circumstances. Um, but you should notice here that the world has order. You're not a free agent, nor am I. You know, I talked about this about five weeks ago. The world has order. Um... um Christ and his church, man and woman, pastor and congregation, parents and children. The world has order, husband and wife. It's all over the scriptures. You know, Ephesians 5, um, the rights word ordination, the whole shot. The world has order. It's naturally there. So you're never a free agent. You're always in community, and you're always responsible to somebody. Um, so has the fear and love of God shaped my honor and obedience to parents and others in authority over me? I know we chafe with obedience, um, but you know what? That's a good gospel word. There's nothing better than to have somebody who knows a lot of stuff that you can obey. Um, when you go to your doctor and he takes, he says, "Take one of these four times a day." Probably better take one four times a day than take four once a day. You know? I mean, I know you have the internet and you can self doctor, but my advice: there's a reason he went to medical school, so uh, you know, pay attention to him. Have I trusted God to bless me and make my life good when I submit to the authority of my parents and those over me? Or have I been angry with them, rebelling, fighting against them because I was afraid I was not getting what I had a right to? So I'll give you two examples of that. One is, first, you don't have any rights in the church. I know that'll be a stunner for you. But rights work by the way of the law, not by the way of the gospel. So you don't have a right to baptism unless you live in England where uh, actually, priests were paid by the government. Have to baptize your child if you're an English citizen. That's starkly difficult if you're a pastor there. But things don't work by right in the church. They work by gift. You know, they work by gift. So the Eucharist is a great example. It's Christ's gift, and it's yours if you confess it to be Christ's gift in all its fullness. Um, uh, and I and I wonder too. You know, I wonder if you see in the commandment that. With obedience comes blessing. Now you know this somewhat in your own lives. If you do a good job at work, um, in fact, if you do a spectacular job, you often get a bonus, for example. Um, and we get nervous talking about this, but there is an implicit promise here. Honor your father and mother that it may be well with you, and you'll live long on the earth. Christ says, when he gives the ten words, if you do this, I'll bless you. Or do in the doing is the blessing. So we might all think about that in terms of our own lives, with our own parents, with our own kids. If we do the things that we were meant to do, that would include things like bringing your kids to church every Sunday, putting them in confirmation, teaching them to pray. That means that your your home life, your Christian life, will be better. right? Have I been insolent, sullen, and disrespectful to my parents, teachers, employers, and authorities over me? You know, have I given honor and respect to the office of the ministry? Have I been on good behavior when they're present and mocking when they're absent? Have I helped those who carry responsibilities for governing? Do I pray for parents, leaders of nations, and schools of churches? You know, kind of, and you know, I'll take myself out of this mix, but think about how, what a rough time the leaders in this congregation have had in the last year. Um, have we always prayed for our leaders? It's tough being on the governing board here. You're a very demanding group. And that's not their full-time job and they work very very hard and I'm always kind of interested when somebody comes onto the governing board their first reaction almost always is being stunned at how much how much time it takes how much there is to do and how many people want to be pleased so do we always honor those people are we always respectful of them you know they've been put into place so um, You know, the Lord says to honor them. doesn't mean you can't disagree. doesn't mean you can't have a different strategy. But personal attack, or suggesting that they're dishonest or lazy when there's no proof for that, that's Fourth Commandment sin. It's to be repented of. You should never do it again. So um, there it all is in the text. Okay, questions about any of that? Yes, clear in the back. Um, did you hear that or do I need to repeat? Did you get it? I could hear it. Were you, could you hear it? Okay. So two things. Evil can make things chaotic and so you have to discern. Good. So discerning is a rational process by which there is public proof. So if you make a statement about somebody, you'll need the public proof to back it up. Now also you'll need to go 8th commandment. And I ran that last week in the bulletin about unless you're in a position to judge people, um, our confession say you can't even speak of it. So it's a rational process, and in the end, it's, de- it's determined by Scripture, not by preference, not your preference or my preference. Yeah, but forget about old Russian governments. That's not our issue. I'm not speaking to Russian governments. I'm speaking to St. John Lutheran Church in the last year that we had together. Russian government, that's not even my expertise. I don't know anything about that. I'm just talking about our life together as a church. So this is what we have to live with. This is how we're meant to live with each other. I mean, I think we haven't probably read the Fourth Commandment for a while, so we probably should, and it's it's probably good for us. Um, Anything else on that? So just be, it doesn't mean that you can't disagree with people. In fact, as I said to the new members yesterday, especially politically, but strategy questions... um, especially political strategy questions, you know, we won't speak to that because you can be a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, doesn't matter. What we speak to is the final product that we hold up things like care for the poor and we need to be actively engaged in that. Precisely how that happens, you can disagree on that, but kindly and respectfully. If we just cut down the way we talked about people that wasn't true, Life would be completely different. It's, it was the sermon this morning. It's really stinky work. To be a Christian is really stinky work because you actually have to. It actually takes blood, sweat, and tears to go to somebody, not talk to other people, ask them, not assert, have proof for what you say, and not presume. We learned all that with AOR people. This this is heavy lifting. Um, you know, 95% of our problems would go away if we just we just observe this kind of fourth and eighth commandment stuff. Probably Actually, Seventh Commandment would probably help a little bit, too, with um, being good givers. Okay, um, we'll do one more, okay? Fifth Commandment, don't murder. We should fear and love God so we don't hurt nor harm our neighbor and his body, but help and support him in every physical need. So this is how you should confess. God has given me and all people life. Life is holy because he created it. This is why um, you can't, you know, unplug... Uh, somebody's respirator, or you can't kill yourself because life belongs to God. Now, I just, I'll give you the basic rubric because end of life care, not a week goes by where we're not involved in end of life care here. People always want to know the basic rubric at end of life, you ask yourself, are you preserving life or preserving death? That's how you make that decision. The reality is um, medicine is so sophisticated it can keep all of us alive for a very long time even after our brains have gone flatline or our heart wouldn't beat on its own or, you know. So, so really the question there, and this is the, I don't want to actually do this today, but the broad question. So I'm not saying you, you know, you keep people forever and ever amen, because you can pump them and move them and shoot them pull things. That's to fear death. On the other hand, sometimes people are too easy to sort of pull the plug. I mean, we've been there before when family members are arguing in front of the person to pull the plug when the person's like blinking and hearing and clearly there. That is the most, I just, it's surreal, you know, um, for Christians especially. So, end of life issues, you preserve life, but don't preserve death. Um, that, that'll be kind of your basic guide. Our life is holy because God created it in His image to receive what He gives and reflects to His neighbor. Have I treated my neighbor's body and life as gifts of God to him? Have I injured my neighbor with violent actions, hitting and beating my neighbor, spoken debasing or insulting words, using foul or dirty words to describe my anger? Have I murdered him with thoughts of anger, contempt, hatred? That's all drawn out of Jesus' thing where he says, you know, if you, I say, uh, you you say, but, but I say, if you say to your brother, you fool. And you know, we're so, you know, especially people who have a quick tongue like me, You know We're so quick sometimes and we have to discipline that. Have I injured my neighbor by ridicule, by neglecting to feed or clothe him? Isn't that interesting? There's your mercy part. Withholding compassion and comfort from him. So it's a shame that anybody in this congregation in our community would ever be hungry or not have clothes. I mean, we should have a huge manna fund so that people, and of course you have to have judgment here about how you give it and sometimes people work the system and all that kind of stuff, but the honest truth is We're a little short on this here. We need to do a better job. When families lose their jobs when people struggle. We need to do a little better job. We can only do that if we're really generous. Honestly, that's another thing. We're under the seventh commandment. If everybody gave 10%, this problem would pretty much solve itself. So many of our problems would almost solve themselves if we just would listen to what the Lord has put down here. Do I abuse my body with a neglect of healthcare? Men, do you get your annual physical if you're over 50? Yeah, or, you, or is your wife going to like, I'm going to meet your wife at 53 at the, at the funeral home and she's going to say to me, he never had a physical, he never took care of himself, okay? Okay, I'm going to leave you in purgatory for a while. <laughs> right. I'm not going to pray for you right away. Go get your physical, all right? Um, excess of food, you know, gluttony, uh, you know, one of the classic things, drink tobacco or drugs. I and mean, you have to be careful about those things. You can't be a pietist. Um, You know, Jesus keeps the party going in John two. Usqua ad hilaritatum. You can drink to the point of hilarity, you know? And you can probably sneak a cigarette once in a while. You know. You can smoke as much as would be the sort of the equivalent uh, of being stuck in traffic during your commute at home. How about that? You know? You don't think that's funny. But nevertheless, (laughs) I just if you happen to see the vicar on his front porch, you know, popping one off, you'll just wanna you know I don't think he's does she smoke? I don't think it. I don't, he, I don't know. know if he does either. I I just try, I'm just, trying to, give him, I'm just <laughs> trying to give him a little love there, okay? So um, you might just kind of think about that. You know, do you abuse others? Do you abuse yourself? But start, start to think about how that works. There's so many ways we can hurt each other. We want to try to get on the positive side. Um, I just have a couple of minutes, but I do want to... So we'll do a couple of these next week, but I do want to give you... Do you have the appendix that says B on it? Just kind of... Um, Does everybody have one of those? You have an appendix D. Anybody need one? Um, it's just one side. This just reviews what we did last week. So there was um, uh, I got a lot of there was just a lot of questions about it and kind of interest. I was I was happily surprised by that. But just kind of this is kind of the rubric, and, and I'm. Maybe one place where we come up short a little bit is we don't direct you enough in how to do things. I think we sort of figure, you know, we put the grace of God into you and you figure it out on yourself, but I was a little surprised last week by your surprise that um, I just always presumed this is what everybody knew, so that's probably a goof on our part. Uh, so you know what, so I just, I just wrote down a quick summary of what we did last week. So somebody said, how come there are no texts? And then I'm thinking, well, there are texts. Here are the texts for the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, it was a single text. If you love me, you keep my commandments. That's Jesus. That was the text two weeks ago. And then last week, the text was love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Okay, that was the text for last week. It's just one text, but there's so much jammed in that you got to work at it. So what did the smart guys say? Scare. God loves his enemies because they are his enemies. He's not their enemy. He has no enemies. That's what the cross is all about. Okay? God has no enemies. Nagel, Jesus will not be your enemy unless you force him to be your enemy. Okay? Then John Kleinig, this is why I practically started with you last week, no man is my enemy. So you want to work in life, you're working at this. No man is your enemy. Why? If he's not Jesus' enemy, then he's not your enemy. If you're walking behind Jesus, and Jesus says, there's no man here who's my enemy, then you have to look at this place and say, there's no man here who's my enemy. Okay? So then I broke that down, as in when someone appears before you, either physically or mentally, you know, what does that mean? When a person comes to mind or physically before you, and you have less than a pleasant visceral response, or you wake up thinking about how much you dislike somebody, you ask yourself a simple question, friend or foe. And the answer is friend, because you have no foes. Christ has no enemies, you have no enemies, especially in the church, especially in the church. You're baptized folk. Your baptism is stronger than your bloodlines, you know? That That's the big deal. Your heavenly father is a bigger deal than your biological father, okay? So how do you treat a friend? Love, but now love is not, you know, Love is not this warm, fuzzy feeling. That's not what love is in the first place, especially in the scriptures. In the scriptures, love, and this goes all the way back to Stacy's question, which is a good one. Love is not subjective feeling. Love is discerning the objective truth of the matter. And that means obeying Jesus. I'm sending you up to the top. If you love me, what is love? Love is obeying my commandments. So you gotta know what the commandments are. You gotta study the commandments. And it is action before emotion. So love is doing the right thing even when it hurts. Office them, Father. They nail him to the cross. He's hanging there bleeding. And he says, I don't have any enemies. If Jesus says, I don't have any enemies, then you and I can't have any enemies. We are, after all, the body of Christ. So how do we engage his commandments? Law and gospel right. If you're a liar, you've got to stop lying. And I'll just tell you, this whole notion that you can tell a lie and not be a liar, no. If you lie, you're a liar because your sins don't float in the air. They're your sins. They belong to you like your puppy or your kid. If you lie, you're a liar. Now, here's the thing. That's not all bad. It's like it's like Paul. Paul murdered, so he was a murderer. He also got forgiven. and He was the Lord's murderer, and the Lord used him. Great. We need to get to the point. Or you can say, not flippantly, but you can say, I lied, I'm a liar, I'm a forgiven liar, and I'm gonna move on. And there's a difference then, and this again goes to discernment, there's a difference between people who lie once in a while, that would be all of us, and then some people for whom lying is their particular sin. There's a difference between people who gossip once in a while and repent of it, and for whom gossip is their regular sin. There's a difference between somebody who's a regular tither, but has a bad week, gets all nervous and doesn't put his check in the plate, and then repents of it and makes restitution, Ezekiel text, and somebody who never gives. And part of a pastor's job is to discern that in the congregation and get people into the proper places where their skills are used. Another thing you might begin to realize is skills don't transfer. Because you can run a bank or spark a computer or balance some books doesn't mean you can run a church. It's completely different. Completely different objective reality. You might be good at it, but it's not a guarantee, okay? So, um, you gotta get it law and gospel right, which is sometimes you have to speak a hard word even to a friend, even to your wife, even to your kid, even to another leader, even you to me, but it's imperative that it is an objective and verifiable word Not your impression, not your assumption, not your reading of somebody's hearts, not your presuming. If we just got rid of all the stuff that was speculation, life would be way better, right? And if we did what the Eighth Commandment says, which is put the best construction on things, give people the benefit of the doubt. So, the law, just as a reminder, somebody said this week, the law is what you do. That can't possibly be right. Uh, you give food to the poor, that's the law. No, that's the gospel. The law is what you do to try to save yourself. okay? You got to complete the sentence. So the law weighs, measures, pinches, condemns, punishes. The gospel gives, Christ, resurrects, forgives, strengthens. And you remember then we've talked about this for years, every word can be used two ways. and the determination is how God chooses to use it. So Christ, even the word Christ can be used two ways. So come as your judge or he'll come as your Savior. The Eucharist, it's the greatest blessing, or it can kill you if you don't use it properly. So, you know, so I gave you law and gospel right, and then I gave you a definition for law for gospel and what's right. Right means what's toward life, toward what's best. And you can think back three years ago, we spent a whole whole year talking about what's best. Maturity, love, and obedience is how Philippians describes what's best. Toward loving God and serving your neighbor. So I wanted to get it on one sheet. I, I was surprised um, and then not surprised, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I presume, you know, too much. Sometimes I presume, you know, too little. I don't, you know, sometimes we get it wrong. If we just have to kind of spell it out, how we engage each other, okay. But I think we haven't been careful enough about, about what we know to be sin and especially objective. Um, how you feel about things is always the second thing to think about, not the first thing. The first thing to think about is how the Lord feels about things. So it's how the Lord feels, and then how you feel, or how the Lord thinks, and then how you think. And as, as the scriptures say, holding all things captive to Christ. Okay? I just encourage you to kind of look at the rest of those. You know, whether we can do five commandments next week, or, or would be six, four. Whether we can do four, we probably can do four. So we'll, we'll try to finish this up. The last two are virtually the same. But um, it's about being faithful, about being generous, about being honest, and about being satisfied, those are the next four commands to go. And you can look at your own life um, this week in terms of those things. But again, I caution you, don't try to do too much too fast. It'll wreck you. Because if you actually take this to heart, it's a great, great burden. you realize how much you've missed in your life and how, how, how far there is to go. Better to um, do a little bit and confess that and be forgiven and sort of grow into this. Because you don't want to, um, despair is not the final word in the Christian life. Okay. Gotta go. Thank you very much. See you next week. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Um, Enjoy the next commandments, actually. They tell you how to live a very happy life.